Welcome to Nepal Now. My name is Marty Logan. Before we start today, a warning. This episode discusses rape and might be disturbing for some listeners. Kriti was raped regularly by her father and grandfather from the age of nine. When she was 15, she was finally able to report the violence at the police station in Dulikel, near Kathmandu. The legal term for rape in Nepali is a mouthful, Zabardzasti Karani. When a police officer, a woman, at the police station asked Kriti to recall the first time she was raped, she didn't understand. She asked the officer what Zabardzasti Karani meant. The woman in uniform scoffed. If you don't know what that means, why are you here? This shocking anecdote is told in an excellent article by Brikuti Rai about how the Nepal police deals with rape cases. If you haven't already read it, it provides painful insight into how victim blaming adds insult to the injury suffered by rape survivors. The article was published in the Kathmandu Post on July 17, 2019. I referred to it because in today's episode, we discuss in detail recent updates to Nepal's rape law. I think it's important when we're delving into such minutiae that we don't forget the people whose lives are shattered by this horrendous crime. In the second half of 2020, numerous media reported about a disturbing rise in rape cases in the country. Activists hit the street to protest the violent crimes, and we devoted an episode to one such group. Early in 2021, the rape law was amended by a government ordinance, bypassing parliament. We discussed its changes and omissions with lawyer Anita Tapalia. And then last month, the ordinance lapsed because it hadn't been approved by Parliament within the stipulated time frame. The rape law reverted to the earlier version. So what happens now? Please listen to my chat with Indu Tuladar, advocate and executive chair of Himal Innovative Development and Research, to find out. Indu Tuladar, welcome to Nepal Now podcast. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for inviting me. So I definitely want to ask you about what happened with the revision of Nepal's rape law. But before I do that, about this time last year, there was a lot of reporting in the media about the increasing numbers of rape and sexual assault. And there were even public protests against these events. Can you tell me how the last year has been? Do you know if the case numbers have continued going up or are they down? Uh, thank you, Marty, for this question. It's not only the last year, but you know that this is the case from the many years in this country. Yeah, last year, I mean, you know, the people, especially the youths, you know, the young girls, they, they came in the, in the street and they protest against the government to make the government accountable uh, towards the rape victims and to end the impunity to the rape perpetrator. Right. Because we have like uh, lots of incidents, you know, uh, incidents of rape, sexual violence across the country, which is like a very alarming. And then rape and murder. I mean, you know, we have like uh, some emblematic cases. Right. Perhaps you you already have heard about Nirmala Panthas case. I mean, who was like a 13 years girl. She's been raped and she murdered. And then, you know, the 17 years girl, Vagirati Bata, she also been raped and then murdered. Likewise, you know, the Pramila Tharu and then many, many countless number of the girls and women 
actually are the example of failure of the authority to hold the perpetrator accountable. Therefore, the reason, you know, the youth express their anger against the state mercenary, especially against the police, against the, you know, the uh, Ministry of Home Affairs, against the overall government in the country. And then if you look at the, you know, the, you know, the comparative data that published by the Nepal police, then you can see that uh, Nepal police dealt with like uh, 2,534 cases of rape in 2020-2021 against, you know, the 2,000 144 of previous fiscal year and that means you know that it increased by 18.19 percent so you know it is in an increasing trend in terms of if we look at reports of the police that recorded in their in their websites and then anyone can access those data and then you know the issue is not only that you know that the case been increasing but the issue lies on the accountability issue of the government. You know, the government is not taking care properly the cases of the rape, especially, you know, that there, there are many, many complaints and, you know, the many, many grievances of the people that the police, in the first instance, without pressure, you know, public pressure, they won't register the case. This is the alarming, alarming issues for me rather than, you know, increasing the case, you know, because of the unaccountability issues lies so rampantly in the in the country then you know the increasing trend is like it's 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 in a way it's obvious right right yeah it seems like we've been talking about this and other issues as well about justice for a long long time and things things are very slow to change but there was one change at the end of last year when the president signed this ordinance so the ordinance did include some revisions to the rape law but if I understand correctly, not the ones that were expected to be uh, in the law. And then this September last month, the ordinance itself, which was, you know, you could say incomplete or insufficient, it also lapsed because it hadn't been approved by parliament. So now we're back to the situation where with the law as it existed before last December. So given that we're kind of back at square one, how do you think now the changes, the updates to the rape law should be addressed. Can we get agreement on, as a starting point, the provisions that were meant to be in the ordinance, but were somehow left out of that ordinance? What would you recommend? I mean, you rightly pointed out this question. First of all, you know, in terms of ordinance, uh, I have a different opinion and I have a different views. Because I would say the ordinance that was introduced by then government was was not sufficient at all to address the gaps in the law, as well as to address the, you know, the protection issues of the victims, right? Because the ordinance was brought for political consumption and political gain. The, the, the background of issuing the ordinance was like protection of the, you know, the rape victims' rights. And for that, actually, you know, the, at that time, they can introduce the, you know, the regulation of Crime Victim Acts because, you know, the Nepal government introduced Crime Victim Protection Act in uh, in 2018. However, the last year, you know, after two years of the endorsement of the act, they didn't uh, take proactive role to, to introduce the regulation to activate the legislation. But without doing that work, they brought, you know, the ordinance. That's why I believe that this ordinance was brought for the political consumption and political gain. 
And then second part is that, you know, that the practice of introducing ordinance is not healthy practice in democratic countries at all. Bypassing the, you know, the parliamentary lawmaking process, it's, it's a threat for the democracy, you know, the ultimately. So, you know, the SUS practice, it has manipulated constitutional provision. So personally, I would say we should condemn such undemocratic and healthy practice. So that is one part. But, you know, the next part, the question that you have asked, you know, as far as reforming rape laws, we should consider many, many uh, issues. I don't think that uh, we, we, we can start from the ordinance because, you know, the ordinance has not addressed any of these issues um, except increasing the, you know, the punishment for the perpetrator. But the issue was not increasing the punishment of the perpetrator to, to respond to, you know, the need of the victim, right? Because, you know, the global experience as well as Nepal's own experience says that to address any crime, the solution is not increment of the punishment because we have to deal with the various, you know, social, political, cultural issues for that, right? So to reform rape laws, we should consider, first of all, you know, the definition of rape because we have lots of, you know, the international definition on rape, especially the international law defined rape as the invasion of person's body with a sexual organ or any object. First anal sex, first vaginal sex, and first oral sex constitute rape no matter the gender of the parties involved. However, you know, in our case, section 219, subsection 2 of the criminal code specifically states that, you know, the where a man has sexual intercourse with a woman without her consent or with a girl child below the age of 18 years, even with the consent, the man shall be considered to commit the rape on such women or girl child. So if you deeply analyze this definition, you find that you know, the definition of rape is not gender inclusive and does not consider you know, the oral or honest penetration of man on the age boy child or transgender person to be raped. This is a problematic provision as various institutions such as prisons and detention camps report case of sexual abuse of men which should be termed as a rape and made punishable accordingly but fail to qualify for the legal criteria of rape. So this is like problematic because of the, you know, the narrow existing definition of rape, many perpetrators, they exempted from the punishment. So this is one of the issues that we need to take care of while we do the, you know, the reform of the rape law. Second issue is the issue related to the marital rape. Definitely, uh, if we compare with many other countries, then our marital rape law is progressive because, you know, the many countries still not recognize marital rape as a rape. However, uh, we recognize marital rape as a rape. For that also, you know, the uh, Nepali women's movement contributed lots. But but when Section 2194 of the Criminal Code, we look up on that provision, then, you know, the code provides for marital rape and punishment for the term not exceeding five years. This provision clearly draws a line between women who are victims of rape by a third party and by their one husband. Rape must have a uniform punishment regardless of the relationship among the victim and perpetrators, and which is completely ignored by the, you know, the existing legal provision. So this area also needs to be addressed because no one has a right 
either a husband or any any outsider has a right to invade the bodily integrated rights of the women right so this issue need to be dealt while we reform the you know existing rape law and third issue is unnatural sex the section 226 of the criminal code actually prohibit the unnatural sexual intercourse without person's consent but it has not defined what is you know the unnatural sex and so uh, because of this unclarity in the law uh, many uh, many i mean children and then you know especially the person with diverse gender identity you know the transgender male and uh, trans men and women you know the gay lesbian they have facing a problem the fourth issue is about you know uh, this rights of the rape victims because uh, we have like a criminal code Uh, as well as you know the uh, crime victim protection act the criminal code is a general law and the crime victim protection act 2018 is a specialized law which ensure the bunch of rights of the crime victims so uh, the the criminal code give um, some remedy but the detail is provided in a crime victim protection act that's why when we reform this rape law we need to harmonize the provision between the general as well as the you know the, the specialized laws that i have mentioned another very important issues that we need to look up on is the punishment based on age you know the, the current criminal code actually you know the provision the punishment on rape and sexual offense is based on the is rather than on the gravity of the offense and the sexual assault okay so such law must be in compliance with the gravity of the offense and punishment must be based on that not based on the age that is totally unfair so that also need to be addressed i just would like to link your previous question that you know that the ordinance to amend uh, some acts against sexual offense 2077 actually was not taken any further and it was withdrawn however definitely a new agreement can be made on the issues and need to be made but the you know the with the proper research and consultation and these law must be agreed upon with the proper legal procedure so that you know they are not authorized not through against you know the another ordinance that should come through the proper law making process through the parliamentary debate not through the ordinance okay and it should include the continuous discussion and consultation among the lawmakers victims as well as expert and definitely with the common citizen okay well there's definitely a lot a lot of work to be done and a lot of provisions that need to be included i mean the things you've described i understand completely some of them i think you know you could describe maybe as progressive uh changes to the law and i'm wondering given that would you be confident i guess this is two part question first would you be confident that enough lawmakers would agree to these provisions so that they could be included in the law and then the second part of the question do you have any signs that the government is interested in embarking on the huge amount amount of work that would be needed to get this passed by the parliament it is very difficult questions marty <laughs> actually <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's not only really my personal experience because you know we have like a 
many, I mean, networks group members, and we often discuss these kind of issues. And then when uh, we discuss, we always conclude that, you know, the last government also was not accountable towards the people. There was like a lots of ups and downs in our political process. And now we have like a new government, right? And this is a, like a kind of coalition government. And they have their one problem within their one coalition. So I personally, I, I do not see that the new government has prioritized updating the laws. That doubt is there. So that is one part. You know? But having saying that, you know, the looking at the intensity of the rape and sexual offense, this issue must be taken into account in a priority. As discussed earlier, the case of, you know, the Azita Bujel, I mean, the rape of trans women was not taken into the justice sphere because of the inadequate laws and, you know, the uh, inadequate definition of the rape. There must be a numerous such case. Hence, yes, it should be the new government's priority to look into the case look into the issues. And sexual harassment, rape, affects a victim not only physically, but has a long-term mental and emotional effects. Hence, it must be taken more seriously by the state. But your second question is about, you know, the whether parliamentarian, they will, they will have consensus or not to bring this, you know, the issues forward and passed as a law. You know, the, before I go for that question, I would like to share one more point here, which you didn't ask. Even among the, you know, the women rights activist group, actually, we do not have consensus about the definition of rape. Because still, I mean, there are some women activists who believe that, you know, the existing definition of uh, rape is fine. Since our our society, our family, our state is male-dominated and it was guided by the patriarchal value system, uh, then, you know, the mostly men rape women and other other remaining cases are like a very nominal. They believe that, you know. So they, they would like to advocate for continuing the existing rape definition. Whereas, you know, that there are a large chunk of the women rights activists who believe that there should be a gender the inclusive definition. So first of all, you know, the, before we jump into the, you know, the parliamentary process, even among the right activists, we should have a common understanding. We should have a clarity that why we need a reformation in definition of the rape. Uh, you know, the, we, we should have consensus. I mean, I don't believe in a consensus, but at least we, we, we need to discuss and we need to have a clarity and then have a common understanding, right? And then if we have consensus, then we can make a collective power and collective voice. Then we can we can influence the parliamentarian and government, right? But now we don't have that kind of collective voice, you see? So I, I doubt that, you know, as soon as, you know, that this law will be introduced in a parliament. I don't believe that. But... Despite I don't believe if it's happened, then, you know, I would be really happy. Right. OK. OK. So it sounds like you're saying that we're we're kind of stuck with the status quo, at least until, number one, the the advocates and the the advocates, meaning lawyers and also the advocates more widely, the women's rights groups can get together, can agree and then approach the lawmakers. So uh, until then, then the former law is being applied, correct? And so at least we hope it's being applied, but we're still stuck with a very um, insufficient law that's dealing with these cases. 
yeah, definitely, definitely. Actually, my organization, I mean, we are preparing the policy brief and the areas of, you know, the reforming rape law. So I highlighted some of the key issues here, but we have many other issues remain that, you know, the need to be uh, bring in the attention of the parliamentarian and the government of Nepal. Okay, so then I guess the kind of the obvious question is, when do you think that the activists will get together and take the time necessary to come up with a common position? How long will that take? <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. But, you know, the, but many, many, I mean, networks and organizations, they've been working. I mean, I, I would say that. But, you know, the exact time frame, I can't say. Sorry, Anne. I, I can't. Do you think that grouping, that the activists, if we call it that, is it inclusive enough? I mean, you also mentioned yourself, trans people and people of uh, different genders. Trans people and uh, let's say LGBTIQ plus plus community, they also been raising, I mean, these issues. Some people, some activists, they only concern in increasing the, you know, the punishment. Uh, and then some activists, they, they believe that, you know, the lawmaking process is not a joke. Lawmaking process, it takes time. It demands resources. I mean, resources in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of knowledge, you know, it demands so many, so many resources, you know. Uh, so amendment of the law, introducing, I mean, new law, it's not an easy job and easy tasks. And sometimes it's it takes ages to reform the law, right? So the people who believe in this uh, this point, they would like to take some time, and then you know they would like to do the proper proper homework and proper make a proper recommendation, proper discussion, and they they believe that you know that there should be a participatory process within a parliament as well as outside the parliament. Outside the parliament means you know the citizens' engagement. Because this law actually affects large number of the population. So, you know, the citizens' engagement is a uh, must and it is essential, right? So that they can warn the law and they can, they can regard the law and it will increase legitimacy, validity and then enforceability capacity, right? So for me, you know, engaging in lawmaking process is not only simply bringing new law, but it's a it's a matter of, you know, the democratic lawmaking process as well. And it's a matter of developing culture of the democracy. So changing law means we have to consider many, many aspects, I do believe. Mm. Okay. And so just a final question. If it does turn out that this revising process is going to take some time, probably uh, years, let's say. Do you think enough people are putting pressure on the judicial system to make sure the existing law is implemented properly and that there is accountability? I mean, is that also happening? Um, I don't have ideas about, you know, the trial court and high court, but, you know, I reviewed a couple of decisions made by the Supreme Court of Nepal. And then I'm optimistic that, you know, the judiciary make the positive direction to establish the new definition of law and then support the victims. Because, you know, when I analyze, I mean, Supreme Court decision, it gives very positive vibes because it helps to widen the definition of the rape. And even the rape law, it's introduced just because, you know, the Supreme Court give a directive orders to make a uh, rape law to the government. 
so rules of Supreme Court in terms of, you know, the dealing with the rape cases, it's progressive. We can expect that. Okay, well, there's one positive thing from this conversation, which is, which is great. Indu, uh, thank you very much. It's a very complicated uh, subject. So thank you for coming on and clearly explaining some of the uh, challenges of getting this rape law updated. I wish you uh, best of luck and speedy work in, in this campaign. I know it's going to take a lot of time and dedication. And thanks for coming on again and talking to me about it. Sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Marty, for uh, inviting me. I do hope that this conversation helps your listeners to understand the existing status of the rape law in Nepal and the areas of reform. I also do believe that your listeners also would raise the voice to reform the law and they would be our allies in coming days. Thank you, Marty. Thanks again to Indu Tuladar for speaking with me today about updating Nepal's rape law. Let us know what you thought of this episode by connecting with the show on social media. We're Nepal Now or Nepal Now Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you're listening to us on your website browser, did you know that you can subscribe to the show on most podcast apps so you don't miss an episode? These apps include Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Player FM, and more. However you find us, thank you for listening. I'm Marty Logan, I produce this show, and I'll talk to you again soon.